morning. Turn with me to Mark 11:22 through 24. 11:22-24. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Mameo Acheu. Yeah, that's what they did when I did that in Africa. Mamemu Acheo means good morning, church. And what you say in return is, is Maydam Wasi. Ready? Here we go. Maydam Wasi, which means you're good looking, preacher. I don't know what it means. I think it means something like you're welcome. But it is good to be back, and it is good to say good morning, church, to this family, especially in air conditioning. Ah. We had a um, wonderfully challenging time in Ghana. Uh, it's three days' journey from the time we left the building here to the time we arrived on campus there in uh, Ghana, West Africa. It is a demanding trip, um, but worth every ounce of effort to get there. Who you're looking at on, on the um, screen is our Ghana team, Gwen and Bonnie, Jimmy, uh, Jeff and Debbie, and Fran, and... Um, that other guy, Jerry. Just what a great group of people to, um, to go anywhere with, but especially to go and try to make um, a difference in some people's lives. And, and as always, that I found when you go to give something like that, most of the time you're the one who receives, and we certainly did. We want to say thank you, especially to all of you who um, coveted with us to pray for us while we were there. We, we don't just take those prayers seriously. We could feel those prayers, and uh, they mattered uh, for everything that we did. I, I can't tell you, just a sense of being uh, led and carried through every aspect of that journey was just amazing. A couple of things that happened while we were there. Um, see if I can get this to change. We had a chance to see the next graduating class of um, kids from the Bazua Christian Academy, and this is one of the graduates there who is just completing ninth grade was what they call their primary education and now will go on to the secondary education 10th, 11th, and 12th and that's Debbie giving one of the Bibles to them. Um, part of the reason why every class that has graduated so far has a hundred percent pass ratio is because of women like this. Uh, Gwen and Bonnie have gone over I think at least seven years maybe this might have been their eighth year um, Again, a very difficult trip. Usually they stay a month when we go. This time we only stayed uh, 17 days. But um, they were, are here training teachers who then are, are given the task when we leave uh, to then teach children. And those teachers are doing a phenomenal job because of ladies just like this. Another significant project that we did while we were there was to take this storeroom and to turn it into a library. Uh, and by the help of Jeff Giles and his great uh, engineering skills uh, and Debbie and her organizational skills, we were able to, to pull that off. And uh, it, it really is going to bring a tremendous resource to uh, uh, the school there. And you may be asking, well, what do they have you do, sportsman? Well, I introduced to another people group the Frisbee. <laughs> yeah, I spoke a couple of times, but uh, I got to tell you, that was, you would have thought I brought fire. 
<laughs> for the first time to a people when I brought those four Frisbees over there. We had an absolute blast. Uh, and when uh, I wasn't on break or on recess with the kids playing Frisbee, they would come and knock on the mission door, Frisbee. <laughs> and uh, we just had an absolute great time with them. Um, there's so much that I could talk to you about this morning, but we really don't have time in this short introduction. Uh, but to just say that we had an amazing trip. And uh, to thank those who supported us prayerfully, financially, and just with a great deal of encouragement. Uh, it means the world. We're going to be talking to the mission board about what we saw. That was a significant part of why Jeff and I were asked to go, uh, to be uh, new eyes on the ground and see kind of what's going on there. And um, we're just stunned uh, by all that God is doing and all we believe that while we were there, God may be calling us to do. We're going to talk that over with our mission um, support team and then also with our elders and then come back and, and share in a presentation uh, to the whole church uh, what we think God is calling us to do there. Um, it really is, I think, a God-sized dream uh, that's already, in, it's already taken place and, and may, we may have a part to have a hand in even more. I want to start off this morning by asking a question that I asked at least two different churches in Africa and I asked our Sunday night group uh, that meets here before we left for Africa. But before we do, I want to pray. We want to be faithful, God. We do. Um, but you know we are sightseers. We tend to walk by sight and not by faith. And so I'm asking you this morning to please, through these words that you've given me, um, just like you did on the seashore so many years ago, would you break them and uh, turn this little sack lunch of a message into a feast uh, for our church to uh, benefit from? Thank you so much for your promise to come and be with us. We ask the same for the Calvary Temple Church. Uh, they're just right up the road from us, and we uh, are grateful for all that they're doing um, and all that we're trying to do together with every disciple in this community to try to be the body of Christ. And... Um, we ask your blessing upon them and the preaching of the word there through Dale as you do the same uh, through me this morning. Come and make yourself known. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Don't worry too much about the microphone. I'm just trying to keep it away from my face. You're not going to be able to adjust it much. It's not the, the system up there. It's me uh, and how close it is to my face. And, and um, we'll just make those adjustments later. Here's the question. What's your weak spot? What's your weak spot? I know you've got one, because every one of us has one. What's that one thing that shows up in your life when it's placed directly in front of you or in your path that you just, you can't resist? For some of you, it's homemade ice cream. I know it. It doesn't matter whether you've just eaten lunch or supper. You're like my wife. You believe that God gave you a second stomach for homemade ice cream. And there's always room for homemade ice cream. For some of you, it's video games. No matter how many hours you've played, if somebody walks in and says, hey, you want to play one more? Yeah, and you're on that thing. Uh, for some of you guys, it's um, whatever your alma mater is competing in and is on television. You're going to be there on ESPN or ABC to watch them compete because you just you love your alma mater and anybody who's competing against anybody else you want to see. Maybe it's gossip. I know. It's not very Christ-like to share other people's failings and misery and stuff, but there's just something juicy about letting someone else know of a great piece of gossip. 
Maybe it's a hot stock tip. Maybe it's uh, an invention, the next newest invention from Apple. Maybe it's driving by a Starbucks store. I don't know. But whatever it is, whenever it presents itself in your life, almost always you indulge. Because you find it hard to, to resist. Did you know that God has a weak spot? Greg did an ex- excellent job um, this last three weeks while I was gone. Had a chance to listen to two of those messages. And in the first one especially, he did a, a great job of outlining the strengths of God and how as a part of his being spirit, those strengths are far superior than ours being created and being flesh. And, and Greg did a great job outlining what those differences are because God wants to stun us. He wants to amaze us. He wants to, um, to grab our attention so that we understand he's a father with whom anything is possible. But while we're different, he's spirit and we're flesh. While we're different in a lot of ways, there's one way in which we're exactly the same. We both have a weak spot. Now, it doesn't negate the fact that he is truly omniscient, as Greg pointed out, that he's truly all-powerful, but God does have a weak spot, something that whenever he sees it in his children, it has a powerful impact on him to the point that I, well, I'm going to go it's hard to resist. It's his weak spot, and you know what it is. Faith. Yeah, I can see how that would be his weak spot. Well, it is. So much so that God says, I will do some amazing things when I see it in my people. You heard Jerry read about it a few moments ago, about uh, coming to him in prayer and believing in my heart that God can do something as amazing as taking a mountain, picking it up, and throwing it into the sea. And that if I would believe, if I would bring faith to that moment, he would respond to that. Wow, what, a, what an incredible promise. Yeah, but I, I don't understand how that could be God's weak spot. Well, don't take my word for it. Let me show you from Scripture three examples where God responds to it so irresistibly that even when he has plans in place, he doesn't mind altering those when he sees faith. The first one comes early on in the ministry of Jesus. He and his disciples are at a wedding, and they've run out of wine. And Jesus' mother comes to him and says, Son, uh, we've got a problem here. Could you help us out? And it's going to require a miracle to pull this off. And so Jesus says to his mom, Mom, it's not my hour. It's not my time. It wasn't set on the agenda of heaven for the first miracle to take place, and certainly probably not turning water into wine. But Jesus listens to his mom. A mother's faith grabs his heart, and he tells the servants to go fill up eight huge jars full of water. And before you can say Cabernet Sauvignon, he turns those eight jars into 908 bottles of wine, enough to fill literally this entire stage. And goes on to make the point that that God just doesn't (laughs) do something that was quantity He does something quality-wise when he says it was the best one that they had had all night long. Example number two. Jesus begins his ministry with his first priority being the people of Israel. He makes no bones about that in the the text. 
His first priority is going to be to preach to and to care for strictly the nation of Israel. So in Matthew 15, verse 26, it catches us a little off guard, but we've heard what Jesus has said about his agenda as far as healing goes. When a Syrophoenician woman, not of the tribe of Israel, comes and says, my daughter has a demon. Would you help me? Would you free her from that demon? Jesus says, how can I? I've come only to the lost sheep of Israel. And the scripture has this interaction between them where she will not take no for an answer. And she continues to make her case until, as we know, Jesus relents and he sets her daughter free. And Jesus himself tells us exactly why he would alter his healing agenda when he says, Woman, how great is your, say it with me, church, faith. I told you it was this weak spot. He moves his miracle agenda because of a mother's faith. He moves his healing agenda, changes it, alters it because of a mother's faith, but I want to show you guys, it's not just women and his faith and their faith that he gets excited about, but when we go to um, Luke chapter 7, we run into a fellow, a Roman soldier. He's got a servant back at the house that's not doing very well, and he sends an envoy to ask if Jesus would come and to heal him. When Jesus is still a little distance off, he sends other servants and says, listen, I, I want you to do me a favor. Just speak the word from where you are because I'm feeling like I'm not worthy to have you even under my roof. And Jesus is more than touched. He's stunned, the scripture says. He says, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in my tribe, even in Israel. I told you it was this weak spot. God loves faith in his kids. He loves faith in anyone. You say, but Jimmy, what do you mean by faith? The same thing the Hebrew writer says, or defines it as in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, that faith is the assurance of things that we hope for and the conviction of things that we do not see. Or, as I like to say, believing that what doesn't exist can exist because God exists. Sometimes I don't remember Hebrews 11 and verse 1 all that well, but I think it can be easily put into this. Faith is believing that what doesn't exist can exist because God exists. It's believing that where wine doesn't exist, it can exist because God exists. Ask Jesus' mom. It's believing that where a daughter's freedom doesn't exist, it can exist because God exists. Ask a Syrophoenician mom. It's believing that where good health doesn't exist, it can exist because God exists. Ask the Roman centurion. Faith. I don't know why I got to that one, but we'll be coming to him in a minute. That'll wet your whistle. God loves this stuff. It's his weak spot. And I got a chance to see while I was in Ghana with those incredible people on the very first slide. Literally, something that didn't exist coming into an existence only because God exists. I got a chance to see what the faith of, of Jerry and Fran Thornton and then the faith of a Bonnie and a Gwen and a Jerry Pierce and, and, and Chad and a Joyce, all those who've gone over there and something I don't even know. I got a chance to see the faith of some brothers and sisters in Christ who believe that a school that didn't exist could exist for one reason, because God exists. And I saw the Bazua Christian Academy. It's an underestimated word. It just, it doesn't even begin to, it doesn't fit to say it's a diamond in the rough. 
It's amazing to see that school and what it's doing in that community there. All because some people believe that what didn't exist could exist because God exists. 300 kids are now being educated in a heavily Muslim inundated area. Next week, four junior high boys are supposed to be baptized who are all part of Muslim families. Mike's been having a class here in, in our chapel talking about the Muslim faith and comparing it to the Christian faith and and asking the question, how are we going to reach these folks for Christ? We're reaching those folks for Christ. We are. Through love, through education, just as Jesus did when he came to this world. Through love and through truth, it's happening. I got a chance to see that God still has faith as a weak spot. And the God of heaven today is present in this room, he tells us. And he's looking primarily for one thing. Is Coach Jones going to have faith? Is Ron going to have faith? Is Chad going to have faith? Is Gail going to have faith? Is Donna going to have faith? Is, is there somebody in here who, who, who is going to believe that what doesn't exist can exist because I exist? And i got to tell you, the time then that finally came home to me in a way that's never let me go, I've not shared it with this group of people, I shared it with the two churches in Africa and the, and the group of folks on Sunday night that I meet with, but it's one of those moments that was, I'll never forget because it just opened up for me a truth, a value of God that I'd never seen before. Many of you know that I was the preacher for the Gateway Church in Rudosa for many years. It was home to quite a few folks who were a part of the ranching business and the agricultural business. I just finished preaching a sermon on the Good Samaritan, and in that lesson, myself and the church was reminded that every single one of us, on occasion, walks by somebody who's in the gutter, someone who's in desperate need, and, and our agenda and what's going on, just, we just don't stop. We just don't help. We just don't care. All of us do that. And Jesus points out that's not very neighborly. But I also reminded our church that, today I'm going to remind you too, sometimes I, I can't see you in the gutter. Now, sometimes I've got to find out from you what that need is so that I can come alongside, so that I can be neighborly, so that I can be Christ to you. I walked down from the pulpit like one that I'm standing here and got about to the back, midway back, and there was Patricia Cheshire, and she was just absolutely in tears. Her husband is an elder of the church there, and they're a ranching family. They probably have about 40,000 acres of ranch land close to Roswell, New Mexico. And she was absolutely broken. I said, can I ask what's going on? She said, I'm not sure you or anyone else can help. But based on what you just shared with us, I think I'm supposed to at least let somebody know. I said, well, I'd love to hear about it. She said, we have prayed and prayed and prayed for God to send us rain. And as you know, we've been in a drought for almost seven years. We spent this year almost $100,000 feeding our cattle. And she said, if that wasn't bad enough, if the drought wasn't difficult enough, there's a coyote that's been on our property now for I don't know how long. But over half of our lamb crop is gone. $10,000 in lambs have been lost to this one coyote. We have invited government trappers to come in. They haven't been able to catch it. We have walked literally pasture after pasture with our friends and neighbors. We haven't been able to spook it out. Um, 
Everything that we have tried has failed. And I don't know what to do. We don't know where to turn. And I said, well, I know you've prayed because you're praying people. But I said, could we invite Cleston Pritch to come and pray? Because he's a praying person, but I, he is a man of great faith. And anybody in the Rudolph Church who knows that church well would have said, that's, that's true. So Cleston, sure enough, came over and, like he always did, just prayed boldly. That, Matthew, that Mark 11 prayer that Jerry read a few moments ago and said, God, we've, we've got a mountain here that we need moving. And it's not moving, and we need for you to do that. And when we were done, I just asked her the question that was on my heart from while we were praying. I said, have you have all tried to call that coyote? Some of you are thinking, well, you leave. No, no, that's not what I'm talking about. For those of you who don't hunt coyotes, and I don't hunt them that much, you actually make a rabbit in distress sound in, a, in a, some acreage and try to lure that coyote in. And when they come in, hopefully, bang, you shoot them, and they're dead. Well, I explained that to Patricia. She had never heard of it. She would never seen it happen. And she said, I don't know, but you're going to have to talk to Kim about this. And I shared it with Kim, and Kim had heard about it. And he said, Jimmy, no way. He said, this is not only the wariest coyote I've ever seen in my life, it's been the deadliest coyote I've ever experienced, both in my dad's ranching life and my own. He said, but if you want to come, you can come. And so on Friday afternoon, I um, gathered up two of friends of mine. One is uh, an ex-government coyote caller, had worked for the government doing this, and one was a buddy of mine who had won several state contests in doing it. And so we went down there. And i got to tell you, just driving onto the ranch property was just discouraging. Roswell's desolate anyways. But you take Roswell, New Mexico, and put it in seven years of drought, it just looks like a parking lot. I didn't know where a coyote could hide, honestly. And so we got there that night, and they were so gracious, they made us dinner. And um, we gathered together, and we prayed. And then we went out, the three of us, to go do what we could do. <laughs> no pun, yeah, pun intended. We gave it our best shot, our, 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 which was awful. The very first place we set up, Jeff was using some electronic calling system that could amplify the sound and shoot it out even further. And from the moment that we punched play, it was a disaster. Instead of those rabid and distressed sounds, it sounded like someone had poured water on a scalded dog metaphorically, all right, the worst feedback you've ever heard in a church or an auditorium, being broadcast for miles, miles, this is so loud, we set up two other times and tried to adjust the system, and it would work fine, soft, but you'd give it any volume at all, and we could hear the coyotes yipping at us, they were laughing, and I promise you, laughing coyotes are not funny. Not when you're trying to kill one that's costing this family so much money and so much distress. After three attempts, we gave up and finally skulked back about 3 o'clock in the morning. Incredibly discouraged. All we had done was make matters worse. The next morning, we woke up. And we had to tell the Chessers what had happened. And if they were discouraged before, they were discouraged even more now. Now, I'm going to hit pause on that for a moment because I, I know for, I would guess, 99.9% of you, your problem in your life that you're dealing with is not a coyote problem. But it's similar. 
Maybe it's your marriage that's in a drought. The high pressure of unkind words and unkind actions have all but turned your relationship into a dust bowl. There's been no intimacy between you for months. And if that wasn't bad enough, along comes the coyote Satan. And one of your kids, you find out, is addicted to alcohol. It's ruining his life and putting even more stress on your already dry marriage. Maybe that's not your struggle. Maybe your drought is economics. You've heard the economy's been improving over the last couple of years, but you haven't seen any improvement to your bottom line. And if you looked into your check account, it looked like a dust bowl to anybody. Without any hope, any forecast of rain in the future. And to make matters worse, Coyote Satan comes along, and one day, because of the pressure, because of duress, your husband spouts off in a very tense time with his supervisor and is immediately dismissed for his insolence and indignation. And so there goes almost two-thirds of your inflow out the window. What are you going to do? I know some of you walked in this room with similar problems of that kind of magnitude, and you're asking, what do I do? Well, it just so happens that God, God's got a weak spot for faith, for believing that what doesn't exist can exist because God exists. It's still his weak spot. It was under the covenant of the law where Solomon says in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, have faith, you trust in the Lord with all your heart, and don't lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways submit to him, and he will make your path straight. A few moments ago, Jerry read, listen, I know you have these mountains that come into your life. I'm saying, with faith in your heart, you say to that mountain, get up and be thrown into the sea, and if you do not doubt in your heart, it will be done for you. We believe in the word of the Bible. You just sung that a few moments ago. That's the covenant of the Spirit. That's the covenant of the law. This is the covenant of the Spirit, which is a greater covenant. And so even greater promises are made here. Is the Bible telling the truth or is it not? There's two parts practically to what this means to live by faith. We sang about it, but here's what it means. It's what you believe on the inside, and it's how you act on the outside. It's what you do on the outside. It's a two-part process. James points that out in his book, chapter 2. But it's not just believing something in your heart, and some people say, no, it's doing something. No, it's a combination of both, because really, if you have faith in your heart, that faith, I'm telling you, works. It does. It responds. True faith has action in it. So it starts with believing that what doesn't exist can exist because God exists. That's the inside stuff. It's, it's believing that God can do all that I can't. And then, number two, it means doing all that I can. That's the outside stuff. Now, maybe that's just too simplistic, but all my life I've seen that work. I've seen that achieve amazing things because I really do believe God's telling us the truth. He's looking for a people who, who are going to have faith, maybe, just maybe. That's why he says, we're saved by faith, Ephesians 2.8. 
Maybe that's why he says the righteous will live by faith, Romans 1.17. Maybe that's why he says in Hebrews 11.6, it's impossible to please God without what? Faith. The only thing that matters, he'll say in Galatians 5.6, is faith expressing itself through love. In Luke 18, verse 8, if we wonder how far we can take this faith thing, well, Jesus says, you know what I'm going to be looking for when I return? Will the Son of Man find faith when he comes? It's his soft spot. He loves it. When we're faced with something that doesn't exist and we believe that because God exists, it can. Can I tell you the rest of the story? After the disastrous night of calling, we woke up the next morning and the Chesters fixed us breakfast. And when we told them all that had gone on, as I said earlier, they were so discouraged. Kim said, if you don't mind, I'd like to go out with you this morning. We said, sure. And so he went out that morning, and um, before we did, we gathered one more time to pray. And here's what I wrote down in my journal that we prayed. God, we've always believed that this depends on you. And after last night's fiasco, if it wasn't impossible already, we know it is now. But we believe that you are the God of the impossible. Will you please move and help us today? We went out, and as I said, I'm not much of a coyote hunter, so I got to drive the truck. <laughs> and my job, especially in the daylight, was to drive the truck far enough away so that where the people were set up, they could call, and the coyote wouldn't see the callers, see the truck. And so I did. I drove about three miles to get out of sight over this one little rise or depression. And um, I couldn't hear them calling. I was that far away. But it was working well that morning. But I heard, bang. I waited to see if there was going to be any more shots, and there wasn't. So I got in the truck, and I drove back over there. And sure enough, when I arrived, there was a coyote laying on the ground. But it was the scroungiest-looking coyote I've ever seen in my life. Not only was it the wrong size, but it was the wrong sex. It was female. So we loaded up the coyote, and, and Kim said, we've got the government trapper on the land today. He was about eight miles away, so it took him about a half hour to get there. But we wanted him to examine the coyote and... and Tell us what he thought. And i got to tell you this, let me interrupt. The, the government trapper was not thrilled that we were there. He'd been working for about six months on this particular problem, and he was the professional, we were the amateurs. And so he drove up, and we weren't too surprised when kind of smugly he got out and said, well, that's a pretty scraggly-looking thing. And kind of a smug, smug smile on his face. And he said, well, there's one way we can find out uh, whether this is our coyote or not, because the coyote struck last night. Same M.O., break the lamb's neck, and eat nothing but the livers. That's all he would do. $10,000 worth of lamb. All, they, all he would do is break the neck and eat the livers. So we rolled the coyote over, and he opened the coyote up, and there was nothing. Nothing but livers. Lamb livers. And it was a rough, dry, dusty place, and it was a bunch of guys hunting around, sitting there. i got to tell you, the song that came to my mind was one that we were singing at the time in our church. We are standing on holy ground, and I know that there are angels all around. Nobody said anything. 
And then Kim started to pray, Father, you heard me pray last night, Lord, I believe, but please help my unbelief. And you have heard my prayer. Your hand and yours alone has done this. Like David, we may have chosen the stones, but you brought Goliath down. This coyote was causing a giant of a problem, and you brought her down. All the glory, all the honor, all the praise goes to you. And no more sheep were lost that year for any reason. Having a coyote that's killing sheep isn't the greatest of tragedies. I know that. But when a faith-filled, humbled broken group of Christians cried out in faith, walked in faith, a God who has a weak spot for faith, responded. And he turned dry, dusty ground into holy ground. I think you get an idea about what believing in your heart, what doesn't exist, can exist because God exists. I think you get that part. What is the, what's the walking look like? What's the second part of all that look like? It looks like David picking up his five smooth stones and putting them in his pocket, putting one in a sling and walking up and slinging it at the giant. It looks like Peter picking up his net and throwing it out in the water because Jesus said to do that. It looks like a little boy in Luke chapter 18 who brings his little sack lunch to Jesus. It says, can this help? And watching God... Drop a giant because someone walked in faith. And watching God fill a boat with fish because somebody walked in faith. Or watching a little boy take lunch for one and turn it into a lunch for thousands because somebody walked in faith. They didn't have their eyes fixed on what they couldn't do. They had their eyes fixed on what God is, who He is, all that He can do. And great things happened. And for some reason, God make some pretty great promises surrounding this because he's hoping that some of us, one of us, would move in faith, focusing on not what they can see, but what they can't see. So let me ask this last question. What do you need for him to do for you? How foolish are you willing to look in the process of him doing something for you? How far will you go to trust him? With the resources that you don't have. I want to invite you this morning to, to think seriously. What is it that I'm out of? Patience? Am I out of money? Am I out of strength? Am I out of hope? Please stop looking at what you don't have and start looking at all that he is. Please, come on. I know that, that we could talk all day, about, but you know, but you know, okay, for the moment, but what if... Last time I looked in Mark chapter 11 after that mountain text and, and believed that those, believe that what they have prayed is going to actually happen, there's no addendum to that. It says, now I know that on occasion sometimes it just says, will anybody please have some faith in me and what I can do, not what you can do? Because it's still the thing that's his weak spot. Faith is that belief that believes that what doesn't exist can exist only because God exists. But i got to warn you, if you say, yes, I want to be one of those people, you sang the song a few moments ago. It's a great song. But to live that means someone's probably going to call you unreasonable. Someone's probably going to call you impractical. Someone's probably going to call you illogical. Because sometimes faith is all of those things. 
It was when David started out there after that giant with that rock and a sling. It was for Peter to throw those nets over the boat when they'd been fishing all night and didn't catch anything. It was for that little boy to come and there's thousands of people sitting on this hillside and all I've got to lunch here. But, but God, that's the but. They may call you unreasonable. They may call you impractical. They may call you illogical. But listen to me. God will call you irresistible. How do I know? It's his weak spot. We're going to sing a song now that we call our invitation song. But what I'd like this morning to do is to ask you for a moment to answer those questions while we sing it. What is it that you need? A couple of you found some of us a few moments ago and said, I need help with this. You stepped out of that little pew that you're in and said, would you come alongside with me and help me believe in something? We're going to invite you to do that. We have a, a time when our elders are up at the front and here and have some, some elders at the back. And you can go to one of those just like you've done a few moments ago. You just stay there the whole time. Just go pray with them while we sing. And then go back and sit down. But it could be today's a day that you decide to draw a line in the sand and say, you know, I've been putting faith in what I can do, not what God can do. And today's the day that I make that step to say, I'm making him Lord of my life now, not me. I'm going to depend upon what his strengths can do, not mine. And we'll take you right back here and we'll put you to death. All, every sin in your life will just absolutely be cleansed from you. You'll be raised in that spirit that God is. That spirit will come and be a part of who you are because this is the covenant of the spirit that we're living in. And Romans 8 and verse 11 says the same power that raised Jesus from the dead will be at your disposal. Oh, he's made us some great promises. He's just looking for some folks who are going to step out and walk in them. Let's begin to, to, to do that in a way that maybe we haven't in a long, long time while we stand and while we sit.